everyone. Welcome to the Master Instructor Roundtable with your hosts, Dr. Marty Miller and myself, Wendy Batts. Um, we're super excited for today's episode, talking about phase two. And I want to just thank everyone for the questions that keep coming in, especially around program design. So hence the reason we're going to do part two today or phase two. Um, Marty, how are you doing? I'm great, Wendy. No, I appreciate you going through the questions that we both get asked, pulling this one out, putting this together, because I think it's crucially important for everyone to understand all the phases. But phase two, Wendy, I know that this one holds some near and dear you know, kind of loved for both of us because that first time you truly experience, you're like, okay, this is different. Yeah. And I think it's important because we always tell people that you don't really understand the model and you don't like really see how hard the model can be, especially in the early phases until you go through it yourself. And then you really challenge yourself in each and every phase and just kind of break it down as you're going through like the different components of your workout. Why would you be doing this exercise over another exercise? And it's really the one phase where I feel sells the model to your clients, especially those clients that like to lift heavy, that like their traditional, you know, bars and, you know, doing the, the racks and, and just having the steel in their hands versus, you know, doing a lot of the uh, stabilization type exercises that may be more body weight focused. Yeah, this phase is crucial for a lot of reasons. And we'll talk about that. But I think, Wendy, you and I have always used this as a bridge to convince people to understand the model. So in a perfect world, everyone would come in and say, hey, whatever you want me to do, I'll follow you. I won't ever ask questions. Well, that's not going to happen 100% of the time. People are going to have kind of a preconceived idea what fitness should be, what they like to do, what they've done in the past. So when appropriate, you can kind of blend into phase two a little bit earlier if you have to, get them to do their traditional strength exercise and then show them what happens after that superset and kind of get people to understand, okay, my body feels different. Clearly what I was doing before isn't cutting it. And then they kind of, you know, buy in. So phase two is that kind of like that secret weapon. The secret weapon. Well, let's let's go over what we're going to talk about. So, you know, I, questions that we got and Marty are, and I are going to go into detail is when do you progress a client to phase two? And we're going to talk about this when we hit that slide, when Marty and I would probably progress someone and maybe when we wouldn't. And then what are the best exercises for phase two? Marty, we get this question all the time. And the big one is program design. How do you program design a phase two workout? You know, do you do the same things over and over? You know, do you switch it up? And I think you and I both do pretty, we have different ways of, of utilizing, I think, different programs. So I'll be interested to, um, to hear your thoughts on that. But we did provide an actual program example at the end of our um, podcast today. So if you want to take a look at what we're talking about, I'm a very visual learner, so sometimes having that example that's outside of the textbook helps, especially if we can quickly talk through it. No, I love that. I think that hopefully after today's podcast, people get a good understanding of exactly why we use phase two and just have a, a better understanding of how to put some great programs together and really let the science do the work for you. You don't have to overthink it. You don't have to come up with really complex supersets. It's the activation of the type two muscle fibers right in the type one with the work to rest ratio. That is truly the magic behind it. So that's what I think sometimes is just kind of keeping it simple, getting those acute variables in, including the tempo and the rest time. 
everything else kind of falls into place there. Yes. So think about the acronym KISS. And I would say KISS is keep it simple, silly. <laughs> <That's your talking> <laughs> but, you know, the, the question about when do you progress a client in phase two, we're always going to come back to the assessment. And I feel as if Marty and I say this every single week, but your assessments really do help you in your programming. And so when somebody initially starts out, we often see a bunch of compensations. It's very common to have more than one, very common to see, you know, the common compensations of the feet turning out, the knees in, low back arch, arms forward. But every four to six weeks, we talk about how the body adapts based on the said principle. And, you know, you get what you train for and you really think about focusing on the five kinetic chain checkpoints, activating muscles that, you know, have been in a lengthened position, not doing their job, you know, really trying to get better alignment into the joint. So we have better range of motion. But when we end up re, um, after going through phase one and we go through a reassessment, they may not be perfect meaning that instead of their feet going almost completely sideways, they may come out maybe just a little bit during external rotation, but it's nothing like it was. So you've seen a very positive progression or if the arms fall and they were falling down and you could see the entire ear and maybe one arm slightly a little bit lower. So it's not perfect. Then at that point, you know, you have to think about everybody in life. No one's perfect. And, you know, really trying to think that they have to move like this fine specimen, it's going to be, you'll be there for a very, very long time because life sets in and life happens. And, and because of that, if you see minimal, minimal compensations, because we still focus on stabilization in phase two, that would be the best time to progress them into the phase two superset process. Yeah. And remember, we've always said too, when we do a lot of these live workshops is you work within the available range of motion before compensation. So let's say you've cleaned up my squat as much as you can in phase one, and you know that I'm ready for phase two. I still may not have a full range of motion, right? Uh, compared to Wendy, I may go instead of 90 degrees, I may go to, you know, hundred degrees, but that might be my full available range of motion. So that doesn't mean I can't get to phase two until you get me to 90 degrees. Maybe on my corrective days, maybe on my stabilization days only, you're going to work right in that. Because if I go to phase two, I don't have to leave phase one behind. We're going to talk about why there's a superset there. And we're going to talk about linear periodization, undulating periodization. But, you know, just common sense has to prevail that if someone's you know, close to ideal or moving much better, you can truly consider moving them to the next exercise progression or the next phase of training, as long as it's within the range of motion that they can control within their five kinetic chain checkpoints. Great points. <laughs> I try, I do my best. So uh, the overview, and this is all in your textbook, but we need to really break down and talk about what makes phase two. So I call it special because, you know, when we teach workshops, we really try to think outside of the box of what, what's different than what's written in the textbook. So if we're looking at the actual definitions of, of what we're, we're doing here, if you, if you pull it up, you're going to see in the first one, the hybrid form of training that can be considered the bridge. Marty and I talked about the bridge between stability focused training that you've done in phase one and muscular hypertrophy. So that's really what we're doing in phase three. This is the bridge between them both. 
And so because we are trying to now blend stabilization and strength, then what we do is we use two exercises that are doing the same movement pattern and we're doing those back to back. So that is our superset. So when NASM defines a superset, it's the same muscle group. It's not a push pull. It would be if we're working on the chest, we're going to focus and stay on the chest for two exercises back to back before we take a rest. And the tempos will be different, meaning that we are going to add load. It's going to be a little lighter repetition um, in our rep range than we did when we were doing phase one. So now we're looking at the eight to 12 reps, doing the strength exercise first, putting that down and then doing something, focusing on the chest that's more unstable at a slower tempo. So if we're going to think about doing a push-up, we might have done a chest press on the bench. And then we, we did, let's say, 10 reps of that. We put that down and then we dropped down into the floor and did a four, two, one, zero push up. So meaning we went down for four seconds. We held at the bottom for two. We came up, added that plus for one, paused and then repeated again for the eight to 12 repetitions. And then we would take a 60 second break. And so, Marty, I think people sometimes get confused on, well, do you have to do strength first or can we do stabilization or would why why do we do it the way that we do it and I, can you kind of give a little bit more about the science of it but then also answer those questions yeah think about any exercise prescription is truly like if you went into your kitchen took a recipe book out if you follow the recipe you're going to get what the you know desired outcome is so anytime you're doing anything in fitness and you're adding repetitions changing tempos adding weight reducing weight there is a physiological effect that should occur. So we know from the research how to best, you know, kind of attack those physiological outcomes that we want. So that's why the OPT model has been evidence-based for the last 25 plus years. So if you change something and you're not following the way that we're suggesting it, you may get a different outcome. It could, and it may not be the outcome you're looking for. So when we look at this superset, Let's assume everybody did their warm up and all that fun stuff. When we start with a heavier based exercise for whatever your prime mover is at that 2020 tempo, what you're trying to do, and we know that it takes about eight to 12 reps with this time under tension to do this, you're basically trying to tax the type two muscle fiber types that are more strength and power based. Like, so their energy system won't last as long, but they are better at lifting heavier loads. So you're taking them out of the way, strength, endurance, superset. So when you immediately then follow with the exact same type of exercise pattern, it could be a different exercise, but same pattern. And now you're going with that four, two, one, one. We know this from research that when you get to between eight to 12 reps with that seven to eight second um, range right in there of time under tension per rep, you're taxing the type one muscle fiber types. So by the end, you've gotten both the strength component and the endurance component in that superset. So it's, it's right in the name. It's very specific in what we're trying to accomplish. Hence why we need to do it as the research has indicated over the years this way. Yep. And on the master instructor Roundtable today, Marty Miller and I are discussing phase two and really the purpose of it, why we do it and the, the format that we do it. So it's basically everything that you need to know and Marty, I think when we're, when we're talking about that slide and really focusing, you know, we often say, listen, guys, the acute variables are what makes this phase special. Well, that is indeed the case. And think of it. This is an example I use. I don't know if it's appropriate, but I'm going to go ahead and tell it. 
But, you know, if any of you guys have ever gone to a bar or a, a dance, somewhere to go and dance, and you hear this music in the background, you know, you're, you're talking to your friends, you're like, oh my goodness, I love this song, and you've got it in your head, and it's going on, and then you've got an incredible DJ that's up there, and all of a sudden, he's doing his spinning thing, and he starts blending in that song that was playing into another song, but it's very seamless. And before you know it, you're completely into a different song where it wasn't an abrupt stop and then a, an immediate start. It was a blend that got them into this other song without hesitation and without you being like, what just happened there? Right. This is the same thing with phase two. Phase two is that blend. So when we talk about the bridge, we're trying to say, okay, we got our body in really good alignment. We're making sure we have good range of motion in phase one. We did everything, time under tension. We know that our stabilizers are going to help the prime mover. So now when I add load and we're adding that actual exercise for strength, that prime mover is doing the job that it was intended to do. And the stabilizers are stabilizing that joint in order to make that happen. So when we get to phase three, that's very specific and trying to look at hypertrophy and trying to gain more muscle mass or muscular development, which is the name of that phase three, we've taken the right process and blended the two so we can maximize our lift and make in phase three. So when we talk about phase two being special, it's special to help someone that maybe doesn't like stabilization, but you can say, do an exercise that you want to do first. And then you immediately do something that I want to do. And then you blend it. So on a sales pitch, it's a winner every time. And then, but second, you know, secondly, and most importantly, you're going to get these amazing outcomes as you move someone up the model. If you spend the amount of time needed in phase two. Yeah, it's crucial. Like you said, it's, it's the perfect bridge. You, you did a great job explaining that. I love how you did that. And again, this will get people to have a lot of buy-in on how intense in the appropriate way, some of these exercise protocols that we have in the OPT model can be with what they think is simple, right? When you pre-fatigue a muscle and then you do that stabilization exercise, some people are chasing the pump, right? We're, we're chasing an outcome of fatiguing them, you know, the local muscular system the way we want. But if that makes them feel better and they get that local pump better than they ever have before, and that starts to get them to understand and buy in, that's great, right? Like, Wendy, rule number two, give them what they want while you give them what they need. So I think that's why phase two is perfect uh, for everybody. And then when you look at the physiological benefits, everyone needs to go through this phase, whether you want to put on muscle mass, whether you want to lean out, it's a perfect phase for everybody's goals. And I find it to be the hardest, but most fun because it mm -hmm. is so challenging personally. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's up there. And I know this chart is small. And again, you can find this in your textbook. So, you know, we, the reason we put this on here, and I know Marty and I had kind of discussed this, people often get confused when they're programming. And again, we're bringing this back to programming because these are a lot of the questions that are coming into Marty and I each and every week. If you're in phase two, and Marty, I'll ask you the question because you know what I'm going to ask. And instead of me just rambling on all day, which I, this is my favorite, one of the favorite phases to talk about. But a lot of the questions are about not necessarily the flexibility component. Most people understand the importance of doing the self-myofascial technique and then mm -hmm. why we do active stretching instead of stat static stretching. And now that we've added in, especially in the latest edition of doing the dynamic warm-ups to prepare the body for this, the questions are coming in. Do you superset your core, your balance, and your plyo 
Do you have to do different things in SAQ? You know, can you can you talk about that and and why it's different than the resistance portion? Sure. Well, we're going to start with core and balance at the beginning because we everything we do in exercise fitness should be a core and balance based exercise. Now, in phase three, if you're sitting on selectorized equipment, right, you can argue balance could be optional there, but we still want to do it uh, one because it's a great way to activate the core and all the little muscles in the foot, ankle, and hips. But you know, it's it's crucial to have your core ready to go for the next parts of the workout, whether it's the skill development where you're moving more at a higher speed or more explosively, or when you start picking up heavier loads, right? Back in the day, everyone did core at the end, right? That was kind of the cool thing to do, you know, crunches and bunches, but we've gotten away from that. And, you know, I remember when I first started teach for NASM, everyone's like, oh, you're going to do core before your primary lifts. You're going to pre-fatigue your spine. I'm like, no, because we had built the stabilization endurance before we went under load. We're activating our core before we do X, Y, and Z. And then now that person's ready to engage their core throughout the rest of their resistance training program. So that's why it's so crucial to get the core portion and the balance portion right uh, following your warm up. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we, when Marty just said that we talk about in phase one, remember in core, we don't do any movement of the spine. So we're really working intervertebral stability, the little muscles that go vertebrae to vertebrae. When we get into more phase two, we start flexing, extending, rotating, you know, and doing lateral movements, you know, so the spine's actually moving in multiple planes of motion because we know it can withstand it because the little muscles that protect the spine should already be you know, um, helping proper alignment so you get better movement. So when we are preparing the body, that's what we're doing. And, you know, when you're looking at core, you're looking at balance and you're looking at any kind of plyo, that is the extended warm up to help you be able to maximize your lifts and your load that you're able to do every time in the resistance. So we talk about that. We say it's so, so important in phase one. It's important in all three or all five phases. Um, but all three section, sections of the model, no matter if you're in stabilization, strength, or power. And so you don't have to superset your core. You don't have to do two. If you're going to focus on, let's say, your rectus abdominis, you don't have to do two exercises back to back. You know, one with a cable machine lifting a lot of load and then one that's more phase one. Now, can you implement both? You absolutely can. But remember, this is a warm up. So you don't have to superset your core, your balance, and your plyo. You can choose one or two of each and then immediately spend more time in the resistance because you've properly warmed yourself up and you're ready to go. And if you're doing your resistance properly, it is core stabilization and strength as well, right? Depending on the exercise you pick. So that just comes into how creative you can get with your programming. Mm -hmm. All right. So here are some examples of phase two exercises. So on the left column, we have what we call our strength focus exercises. And in the right, we have our stability focus exercises. So these are going to work primarily for the majority of people you train. However, let's start right off the bat with uh, chest, right? Bench press. When we look to the right column, a push-up, that could be a strength-based exercise for some people. You're just going to, the only thing there is you may have them handling more of their body weight for their 202. And then you may have to take off less of the body weight at using a bench, the wall, a Smith machine when you slow them down. So we're saying that these are kind of great ways to start, but you have to assess the person. So push up to me jumps out right off the bat 
where a push-up still could be someone's strength-based exercise, just how much of their body weight they're carrying and the tempo. So these are not uh, all inclusive, but these are some ideas. So you've got your bench press, your machine chest press, the pull-downs, cable rows, shoulder presses, dumbbell shoulder press, obviously a back or barbell squat. You can do a front squat, dead Romanian deadlifts, and then your calf raises. And then down the, uh, the right side here, you're going to see a, a pattern, a lot of single leg exercises or standing, right? So these are the, how you're going to create that instability, make it more muscular endurance based. So I'd love the bottom up kettlebell press. You could do that right from a machine or even a dumbbell press go right to a kettlebell press. And there's some obviously multiple variations for all of these, especially on the right column, single leg squat, single leg Romanian deadlift. Those are some examples. Now be prepared. If you're going to do three sets of this, that set one, you've got a plan set two. You may have to modify the weight on the strength and you may have to create maybe less instability as they start to get fatigued. So don't think that all three or four sets are going to be the exact same because fatigue is going to set in pretty quick and it's all going to come to one, not deviating from the five kinetic chain checkpoints, as well as making sure that you have the right tempo for the two zero two zero, as well as our four, two, one, one. So if they can't do a two zero two zero, you need to go lighter. If they can't do that slow controlled tempo, you either need to go lighter or change the basis support or however you're creating that instability, because it's not about, having them do this and let them figure it out and find a way to finish it off. It's about having ideal form and within the five kinetic chain checkpoints and sticking exactly to the acute variables. Yes. Acute variables are super important, but I will also say this, these are examples and I, and we hear this a lot. I feel like I need more exercises. The book only says this, this is, a chart of an example of some of the exercises per body parts that you can utilize that show you the pairings of something stable and something unstable. If your programs are starting to become very blah, then that is a trainer problem, not a programming problem. And so you want to give your clients the ability to focus on the muscle, um, the specific primary or prime movers that you're focusing on, but you also want to be creative in your programming as well. Don't always do the same thing. Switch it up. As we know, your body starts to adapt. If you're doing the same exercises over and over, A, why do they need you as a trainer? And B, you also want to think maybe they do have to do the exercise over and over until they kind of own that patterning. You're teaching them something. That's totally fine. But we usually do that more in phase one because your body, you're learning the fundamental movement patterns and you're learning how to move. So try to think about maybe one day if you're doing something stable on the bench, you're doing the barbell chest press, and then you're going back, it's chest again. Maybe it's a chest dumbbell, and then another time, maybe it's the machine. So something that's stable, however, something too that doesn't require as much balance and focus until you get to the second side. Now, another big key that I always tell people, you should be writing down every single exercise program that you do with your clients. That is for liability, and that's also to let you know where do they start and where are they to begin with. So when you reassess your client and you're moving them into phase two, I strongly suggest going back to the very beginning basic programs that you did with them 
and then now adding a strength right in front of that on the resistance portion. So yes, you're going to have to modify the type of stretching that they're doing. So no longer necessarily static, maybe it's active. Instead of doing things like planks and bridges, now you're doing crunches and back extensions for your core. You're doing more single leg squat versus a single leg balance with reach. Those can be easy adjustments, but don't reinvent the wheel. Take those stabilization exercises and plop a strength in front of it. And you've reduced the amount of time in your programming. Plus you already know they're familiar with the stabilization exercises because it's something they did in the beginning, you know, four weeks ago, but now you're introducing more of a strength, which is a little bit different. So giving them something new versus, and then integrating it with something they know. So it's a win-win for both. Yeah. Keeping it simple. Like we talked about the beginnings, don't overthink it use what you've done before, build off that. And then you'll see here in this phase two program, it's a very effective program, but it's not something that's so crazy that everyone couldn't follow it. Yeah. And this is just an example. And, and you know, Marty and I, again, we're not going to go through and read through each and every exercise, but this is something that you can take a screenshot of and look. This is an actual client that, you know, a beginning workout for someone that was in phase two. And you're going to see, we, we talked about SMR or SMT. I keep wanting to call it release every once in a while, but self-myofascial techniques. Still doing the hunt and destroy mission. We're still thinking about the exercise or the muscles that are going to be utilized. Or if there's still minimal compensations, we're going to still focus on that with the foam rolling. Active stretching, again, they're going into a, a different position. They're holding that instead of 20 to 30 seconds. They're doing it for reps for two to four seconds. And then after that, they're immediately going to, you know, they can do dynamic if you think it's important. I don't always do that, but I do think about the world's greatest stretch. I really like that one a lot with my athletes. So sometimes I incorporate it with that. And then we would move on to the um, activation or the core balance and plyo movements. And Wendy, I know the question is going to be, oh, you can't get through this an hour. Oh, yes, you can. Because uh, yes, the, the reason that Wendy can get through this or anybody can get through this in an hour is one, you've built them up to this in the stabilization phase. They know the form, they know the techniques. You're not just throwing random exercise at them every day that they're like, I don't know what you mean by this. You're building off their success, but then you're also setting up yourself for success in the environment you're training in, right? Whether you put everything in a little corner, you know, the flow of the room, things like that. And you let them know, here's where you're getting your water breaks. Here's where you're doing this, that, the other they know what the flow is. Maybe the first time you take them through the superset, it may, you may have to cut out one or two little things, right? But don't forget, they could be doing their warm up ahead of time, right? So the hour doesn't have to be that SMR, SMT with the active stretching, right? And I'll even let my, uh, my uh, customers, clients even get their activation potentially out of the way if I'm not changing it up that day, right? So then by the time I see them, we go right into the resistance. And sometimes I can get that done in 45 minutes. So you just got to, you know, work that plan, you know, make sure you plan your work and set yourself up for success. And you will absolutely get through all this in an hour. And there's nothing wrong with the handing off their cool down. As long as you make, you know, they know how to do it and you know that it's getting done. You can always push to that last minute and let them do the cool down on their own. And this is more of a total body example. Because people are like, do I have to do, you know, chest days and do I have to do leg days when you're doing this? And the, the answer is no. And you don't have to follow the template as we wrote it down, where it's like total body, chest, back, you know, shoulders, buys, tries, legs. You know, often I might do a chest 
and then they'll do their pair. And while they're resting, quote, for 60 seconds, I'm going into legs. That doesn't require them to use their hands, meaning a leg press. And then they're going into, you know, maybe a lunge to balance. And then by the time they finish that pair, we're going right back into the chest. So I'm limiting rest periods. But this is for someone that doesn't need that, you know, that complete rest period of doing nothing. It's still taxing the body. I'm not utilizing the same muscles. So therefore I'm not going to fatigue them by doing a push and pull as my, you know, my two pairings. So you can be creative. You don't have to go in that order. They, you know, you have to write an example of what an actual workout looks like, but if you want to change up the body parts or you don't want to do a particular body part one day, then don't. You know, if you're going to do shoulders and chest, I strongly suggest thinking about how much anterior delt you're going to be doing. So therefore, when you're focusing on shoulders, leave the anterior delt alone. Focus on the middle delt, focus on the, the rear delt, because every time you push, that anterior delt also has to work. And so you'll hear people complain that their shoulders are starting to really you know, um, become more and more sore, you may start to see the shoulder go into more and more interior, um, and more um, internal rotation. And, and think about it, is it a programming thing? Or is it something that that um, the client is doing where you need to try to counterbalance life, if you will, to help them maintain the proper alignment? Yeah. And, you know, not to get uh, down too far of a rabbit hole, you could always do a smaller workout instead of a vertical load, you can go horizontal. You can do your chest pair, 60 seconds rest max. You do your chest pair, 60 seconds rest, chest. You're done with chest for the day. Then you can do back. So if somebody wants to do like a push-pull and like, oh, I have 30 minutes. Okay, here's your warm-up. Let's hit it. You come in, you get your, ch your chest, boom, 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 right in a row. And that way you're not bouncing around the gym and you can't get back in time. Then you do your back. Just understand that the load will go down every single time because you're not doing it in that vertical manner. So they both have... Uh, an appropriate uh, application. It's just, you got to think through, I change it this way versus this way. But for those express workouts, it's a great way to get a lot done in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And I challenge all of you to really do a phase two, utilizing the strength immediately into stabilization, following the tempos. The tempos, I think, really do sell it because most mm -hmm. people can do push-ups. But in phase one, you did a four, two, one pushup. You went down for four seconds. You held for two. You came up for one. You might have rested for a second and then repeated and, and did that anywhere from 12 to 20 repetitions. Now, when you're adding something really heavy and then going back and doing 10 of those same, you know, you might speed it up just a tad. So maybe it's three seconds down, but it's still very slow. So it's medium to slow. We give you the tempos with numbers because what is slow to someone? I need an example. Marty, what is slow? Well, slow would be a four, two, one, right? Versus, oh, go medium pace. Well, what's medium? Medium to me might be fast to you. So we we put numbers on there. Not that you have to count it out every single time with your client, because that would drive me nuts. That would drive you nuts. As a trainer, you lose all of, you know, what whatever it is that you're doing and you're not able to cue them because you're counting. So just give them maybe one to two examples with the count. Okay, I want you to go down for four, hold for two, and then come up. So, for example, this is the speed that I want you to move. And then at that point, they are, understand it. They saw it. You've counted maybe one or two, and then you just have them continue to follow along. So I think that's also important that we try to do too much. You want to focus on form, technique, 
quality of movement and then making sure they're executing things like the way that they were intended to. It's not, it, when we say follow it exactly, just keep in mind, we're not asking you to count all of that. <laughs> we just want you to understand it. Right. Every so often, you know, you give them an example, say, okay, let's count this one out so they can kind of get a feel, right? And then you go, okay, that's what I want every single time. Or you just have them focus, hey, where's your pause, right? You don't have to sit there and count every single set, every single rep. And so just how, how that communication style works with your client for sure. Yep. So Marty, I appreciate you uh, doing this for me because the questions that we got, a lot of it was just on confusion on supersets. So we're hoping that this helps, especially with phase two. And just as a, an update in the near future, it won't be our next one, but I know in the, in the very near future, Marty and I are also going to do one on phase five because we want you guys to feel very comfortable with the programming. Programming is what makes us successful and programming helps a client reach their goal. And so we really want to make sure that you love this industry, you stay in this industry and you're maximizing the amount of money that you can make because I have used this model my entire career. And I'm telling you, it really works as long as you're confident in what you're doing. You understand that it's based on research. So I'm just not making something up. And you can understand the programming components because they might differ in, in well, they do differ in each phase. But that differentiation is what makes that phase specific to that particular goal and will help your client reach it. And you are able to help them get there by explaining what you're doing and the why. Yeah. And we're giving you the science behind it, but then you can make it fun and engaging and interesting. And you're going to have a ton of clients that have great results, training safely, and just are fully engaged in the process. They never know what phase is next. So yeah. Wendy, obviously everyone can see your contact information here. Mine is listed here as well. We always put our contact information out there. We want to hear from you. As Wendy said, this is how this content really was derived from some questions. We've got a couple other master instructor roundtables we're starting to create based on those questions. Please do not hesitate to reach out to us with ideas. This is why we do the master instructor roundtable every week is all about you getting the information you want from us. So Wendy, great job as always. You just never disappoint. <laughs> and for all of you that joined us this week on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we definitely are looking forward to seeing you again next week.